everybody, and welcome to another episode of Midwest Magic. I am your host, Chris Kulo, and along with me for the ride, as always, uh, week in and week out, is Kyle Lewis. Kyle, how are you doing? I am doing excellent, Chris. Um, you will have to excuse me. I'm a little bit congested, so if I fa- if I sound sort of like smoky and sultry like a young Miles Davis, that's why. We'll forgive you. Thank you. We'll forgive you. Uh, you you sound better than uh, our, our car trip home from Columbus. So I'll... yeah, I literally couldn't make certain sounds from my mouth at that point, and now I can sort of make those. <laughs> yeah, just you were better off just not speaking. Yeah, well, I mean, that's typically true anyway. Yeah, I guess not not very much different. So, if you're wondering uh, who we are, so we are um, a Magic the Gathering podcast with a Midwest uh, with a Midwest perspective on things. Uh, we look to kind of give you the rundown of what's going on in kind of this part of the country for Magic. Um, so, as as I kind of mentioned, Kyle uh, not being able to speak. Uh, literally, <laughs> after our trip from Columbus, we uh, we made the venture to Star City Games Columbus, uh, the Columbus Open this weekend, and um, to 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 participate in the first standard tournament of Eldritch Moon. Yes. How did that go? How did how did how did, did you have a good time, Kyle? I did. Uh, it was one of my first Star Cities in a while. I really definitely enjoyed the experience. Uh, I got to see some friends who I hadn't seen in a while. My deck did okay. I was bitterly close to cashing and unfortunately did not. Um, there's stuff I think I could have done a little bit better. Uh, but overall, I- I'm glad I went. It was a very fun experience. Yeah, definitely. So let's kind of, uh, I guess, let- let's kind of dig into that a little bit um what so we went down for the open on saturday it was brand new standard uh what did you what did you choose to play so i made good on my promise in the last podcast and did not change a card from my uh white weenie deck white red mm-hmm. humans uh i definitely feel validated in that choice because tom ross did the exact same thing Mm-hmm. He changed, like, one card in the sideboard that was, like, a bad card for another bad card. Um, so I felt like I was playing uh, the correct list. Um, so, yeah. And uh, and you, Chris K? I also went with the White Weenie deck. Um, I did not heed your advice, or, or Tom Ross's, I guess, in changing uh, zero cards. I wanted to uh, try and try and see if the, one of some of these new cards could... Uh, maybe affect the deck, and I got easily convinced that Needle Spires was bad <laughs> by, <laughs> by uh, uh, a local by a local name nickname Scrub. Yeah, so he's uh, actually good at magic, but he gave you very dubious advice. <laughs> I all he had to say was, "Have you ever seen someone activate Needle Spires?" And I thought about it, and I and I came to the conclusion that no, I haven't. <laughs> it does so much more than that. I hadn't. I hadn't <laughs> seen a, a Needle Spires ever activated, so. Yeah, just convince me that get it out of there. <laughs> I attacked with a needle spires for ten this weekend. Bullshit! No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I had two always watchings and a Gideon emblem. You should. I wish you would have thrown your hand up and made a judge call, but for me instead. Yeah, like, Chris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Chris <laughs> Spires. <laughs> like, I needed that. I, <laughs> I needed that. I needed that. Uh, that counter to to scrub. Yeah. Uh, observations. So, yeah, I'm gonna have a He easily convinced me. Yeah, it sounds like he did. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna get him at the Dunkin' Donuts and help <laughs> look scrub. You can't be spreading this nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I took out the red cards, uh, all the red cards. I took out the the goblins, the needle spires, and the the battlefield forges, and I didn't, I didn't change uh, anything from the main deck, but in the sideboard. Uh, this was also appealing to me. Uh, I was able to play like four cards over like four lands, but I guess like those are the the needle spires are spells anyway. So I, I've seen the errors of in my ways. So I I ended up changing out the eight cards for three Thalias and four of the the what's what's the first one one first striker lifelink for two uh, Lone Rider. Lone Rider. That's right. That's our boy. That's our boy. 
Uh, I switched out for four Lone Riders and three Thalias, and yeah, Thal- uh, it it was just very underwhelming. In in my def- in my defense, I thought there was going to be I thought I was going to run into more aggressive decks, so I thought Lone Rider might be cute and kind of um, block Savannah Lions well. Yeah, I mean, that card definitely seems like the mirror is like a chance for it to be good, but a lot of things really have to go right for that card to be good. And I know I told you this like 30 times this weekend, Chris K, but for the benefit of our listeners, like part of the benefit of playing Needle Spires as well is it lets you go up in your land count. So if you want to play more expensive spells like Gideon Ally of Zendikar, it really synergizes well because like basically you do like a transformative sideboard where you cut two of your planes, you put in the four Needle Spires, and then you board into something like two Gideon Allies, Zendikar, four Goblin. Uh, it's not called Goblin Bushwhacker, but it does that thing. Yeah, sur- sur- <laughs> Surge Bushwhacker. Surge Boy. And yes, like yes. maybe some Stasis Snares, like if you choose. And like there you have the mana to support those and it plays around. All these cards play around Languish. Whereas like the cards that you boarded in don't play around like Languish at all. I think that's like probably the Dex vs. matchup. Um, but yeah. Thalia actually ended up being a really good card, but not in this deck. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. Uh, Public Enemy numero uno. Yeah, I, I guess that kind of gets in, uh, I'll, like, my tournament ended pretty swiftly uh, because of basically what you said. I ended up going three and four on day day one, um, much to my chagrin. I ran into three Languish decks and lost to all of them. So I guess the proof is in the pudding uh, with the red sideboard and its potency against language decks. It's still super hard, um, but at least it's, <laughs> it's better than nothing. Yeah, it, it it particularly wasn't great when my, it was I think it was round four opponent went uh, turn four language, turn five language, and then like play something, another language, and then demonic, uh, what what's the card I'm looking for? Uh, fuck, I... I know what this is. <laughs> Five mana tutor. Yeah. We all, we all know it. Yeah, I feel we like all... Morrow. Uh, uh, it's five I... mana, it has spell mastery, it gets you three black. I think uh, three black, maybe two and a black. Yeah. I designed this card. Um, I swear. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I, I was, and then he went, he went that card into, oh, Dark Petition. Dark That's Petition. The, uh, dark uh, Petition, yeah. I know you're all screaming it at me. <laughs> Everybody's yelling at their radio. Yeah. <laughs> No, Mark. No, we're not. We're not. I promise you. Uh, yeah, so he, he went Dark Petition, Spell Mastery, because he already had three languages in his graveyard and played the fourth. Good on him. And so that that was really discouraging. Uh, but so that that's how, that's essentially what my tournament looked like. It, um, I ran into, it was cool, I ran, round one was a Mono Red, uh, Mono Red Madness, with the with a three four prowess guy that gets cheaper for each instant sorcery that draws and discards spells I can't remember its name right now but it was a cool it was a pretty cool deck uh but you know the the, the white weenie strategy just kind of did its thing and went faster than you know an unprepared deck in a lot of ways and yeah. uh, but then I ran into like I said three language decks and a company deck were my losses so that was that was kind of my tournament. Pretty uh, pretty uneventful in a lot of ways. Um, what about what about on your end? So I went six and three on day one. Uh, my first loss was in round one to a black white tokens deck. Uh, he was playing Liliana. Uh, went to three games. They were pretty close, uh, but he was able to just win that. Um, my second game was against uh, Max uh, Max McVetty, uh, Mayor McClue, somebody called him, uh, the guy in the clue token. He uh, was a cool guy. We talked a little bit. Um, and he was playing, like, basically a mono-red deck, like you were sort of describing, where he played, like, a bunch of shocks and a bunch of Spells Matters cards. He played yeah. that guy where you discard your hand and draw three. He played the guy where whenever you play a spell, you shock a guy. He played the guy where it's like, a 1-4, and whenever you play a spell, you deal one. And that yeah. deck was, like, insane against me, because this whole deck is, like, shocks and right, yeah. spiders and, like, upsides just... to shock. Can I just say how insane Shock is against a Savannah Lion? Yeah, it's super good. Just wowee. Yeah, especially like when your whole deck is just like shock things with upside and then draw your shocks again. You're going to have a pretty good time against a deck that's literally just trying to play Savannah Lions for five turns. Yes, you are. Uh, my second loss of the day, 
Our third loss of the day was to, I want to say, like another black control deck. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. That makes sense. Uh, day two, I went three and three, unfortunately. Um, I beat, I think, just three company decks straight up. Day one, I was like six and oh or something. All my wins, I think five of my wins were against company, and one was in a mirror match. Um, and then day two, I think I beat three company decks, and then I lost to one company deck that was pretty interesting. He was playing Bounding Crassus in his deck. And he was also playing the Emerge guy, uh, Elder Deep Fiend. Oh, okay, yeah. He said that he plays four in the sideboard, and depending on the matchup, boards out like Collected Company or uh, Dromoka's Command for that card. And it seems like, I do understand where there's matchups where Dromoka's Command is bad. I don't know what matchups Collected Company is bad in. Yeah, it, it feels kind of like just trying to uh, cut the Sacred Cow for the sake of you know, being uh, contentious. Right. Um, I don't know how good Elder Deep Fiend is in other matchups. Against, it was played against me a couple times, um, and like both times it was like, I'm already losing, and now I'm for sure losing. Um, <laughs> just, just really driving the point home. Yeah, it was sort of win more-ish. Um, I also lost to just a standard Humans Company list and like a Sultai controller. Um, I posted some of these deck lists. If you want, like the nitty gritty, uh, there's an article on Pure MTGO called "Standard Decks of SCG Columbus" uh, that has like the deck lists of some of the decks I uh, like. Max McVeigh, and they're all on SCG, obviously. But a lot of the people I'm talking about were in top 64, so you can see some of those lists there. Nice, nice. Uh, so, what did I hear you right when you said you played against four company lists in day two? Uh. Wasn't it, f- I think, yes. Wait, I think five. Wow. Yeah. That is quite a bit. That was kind of the story of the weekend, though, in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's kind of what it came down to. Um, which... You know what it was for? Sorry to cut you off, but I played against Young Master. He was playing Blue White Spirits. Oh, okay. Yeah. Another kind of breakaway deck from the weekend. Yeah, for sure. That deck put the second most people in top 64. If you look at top 64, it's Bant Humans is by far the lion's share. And then second place is a tie between uh, Humans and Spirits. Mm-hmm. That's quite a bit. Uh, with that, so uh, any any, any interesting, other interesting points kind of from your, uh, from your tournament? Anything, anything of note? Uh, there were some cool decks. Uh, yeah. I know we're going to talk about the top eight decks, so I won't talk about my favorite deck of the tournament yet. <laughs> I thought Max McVetty's deck was really sweet. Um, I think it'd be cool if that became like a real deck. Uh, Bank Company is amazing. If you are like uh, fortunate enough to be going to the Pro Tour and you're not on a professional team and you don't know what to play, I, I would strongly suggest you play Bank Company. If you're going to a Star City this weekend, I would strongly suggest playing Bank Company. Um, the deck's amazing. If you're not going to play Van Company, I think Humans is fine. I think it's probably worse in Week 2 than it was in Week 1. Yeah. Maybe not, though. Um, and anything else I would say would sort of be stepping on the toes of some of these top 8 decks, so I think that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm certainly with you there. If you're If you feel like you're at a loss, just stick with Van Company. It's very good. <laughs> you don't have to be original to win. Absolutely not. And usually it's better if you're not original. Uh, you know, Pat Chapin wrote that famous article about how innovation loses games, essentially. <laughs> I can appreciate that coming from the innovator. Uh-huh. A little a little biting, stinging critique of himself. Yeah, he's good He's good on that. Say what you will about Pat Chapin. You have to admire someone who's willing to, to critique themselves publicly. It's a good virtue. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, speaking of then, you know, the success of Band Company, so the top eight. Yes. Our top eight here. We have, just kind of going, I'll go first first to eighth here. Eighth is my favorite. I, lo- I-, I love this eighth place deck. I it's... love its name. I love its cards. <laughs> and the player. And yeah, who doesn't love Ronson? Ronson's great. So, <laughs> so uh, we're kind of going... So, in first place, we have uh, Band Company, 
followed by Saltai Control, and then Band Company in third, yet again, and then Green White Tokens in fourth, uh, Band Company in fifth, Green Red Goggles in sixth, which is like a ramp, big, big green red ramp deck, um, and then Black Green Seasons Path in seventh, and then Ronson Big Card. Uh, yes. Don't don't be deceived by the name on Star City Black White Angel Control. That is not what this deck is called. This deck is called Ronson Big Card. Don't let anyone steer you from the one true path. <laughs> it because it's it, it has so let's uh do you want to talk about Ronson Big Card first? <laughs> well, sometimes he he, fl- he flips into Brisella and people go on tilt. It's just like Ronson Big Card. You know that. You just point to you just point to your you first of all you have to be Ronson and then you just have to point to your big card and they yeah. take nine it's super good that's your combat step you don't no no must <laughs> no must you just point and adjust the life totals yeah I do want to give a shout out to uh, Hollywood Evan who designed this deck uh, he's a friend of ours Cleveland player um, a lot of the things he did in this deck were like really smart um, like one of the things that uh, it's basically a black-white control shell in a lot of ways. Like, it has three ruinous paths, three read the bones, three languish. There's two duress in there, two ultimate vice, four grasp, uh, and anguish on making a blessed alliance, which was, like, a very brave choice. But there were some games for Ron that I saw where this card was pretty sweet. Like, especially against, like, aggressive decks, or even, like, just against any deck. Like, against an aggressive deck, if you make them sack a creature and gain four life, that's amazing. It's easy to get two-for-ones off this deck if you get a surprise blocker and then you make him sack a guy. Like, what a blowout that is. Like, for a four-mana spell that you could also just cast as, like, an edict. Like, I think this card is a real deal. It's certainly, like, an innocuous card to include there in the list. And as a one-of, I can see that being a pretty frustrating. Yeah, like, you have to you have to respect it after the first one. And so it, it gets, like, scary to attack with just, like, one good guy. Oh yeah, you you see uh you see him play that and I mean you, it's got you on your toes for the rest of the game. Right. So he includes the five planeswalkers. He's got two Sorens, an Ob, and two Lilies. And then this is what sort of sets this deck apart is there's ten creatures in here. Um, three of them are Gisellas, two are Kalidas, a Limbala, a Bruna, and Avicen, and two Thalia's Lancers. Um, part of the reason that Ron was able to make his big card so often is. <laughs> A, he gives himself the opportunity. He has both one Bruna and the three Gisellas. Gisella's just a great man. It's a Bane Slayer for four. Like, yeah, it's three on the back. It dies to, like, all the removal in the format. But it's still, like, if unanswered, it's... And let's not, it gets bounced mercilessly by Reflector Mage. That's a thing. It does absolutely do that. Um, but this Thalia's Lancer is, like, so sick because... You can use it to tutor for literally any other creature in the deck. All of his creatures are legendaries. So Thalia's Lancers is essentially like a 4-4 four, four for 5 with First Strike and like Eldermi's Call taped to it. Um, and it can, can, all- I, can I just point out the, the Gyre Reach Sanctum? That's so good. It, it's right? so smart. Like, yeah, like the fact that you can just use it and then make sure that you hit your 6th or 7th land like when you need to. That's, like, so important and, and so good. And the fact that it has, like, some utility, it's, like, so right and smart. I thought that was I thought that was a very cool in, inclusion. Uh, just just to even, uh, just to just to really crank up the, the utility on Thalia's, Thalia's Lancers even a little bit more there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and then similarly, his Bruna can get back any creature in his deck. So Bruna makes a great target for... Thalia's Lancer, um, and then of course you can get back any of the creatures in your yard with Liliana. So it's easy to imagine a line where like you Thalia's Lancer is for Bruna. Bruna gets back literally any creature in your deck except for Kalidas. And then like once you have these guys in your yard, you can just use Liliana, get your <clears throat> get your Bruna back at any time, get a Gisela, make a big card. And like once the big card gets out there, the big card is like very hard to beat. Your opponent basically needs, like, an ob, or they need to be a sicko, like I saw one player in a feature match, and just collected company into exactly one reflector mage. It was so, it was, it was very good. It was, Uh, (laughs) it was round six, I believe, 
I, it's uh, the Star City has the VODs on YouTube, but uh, I was standing by the the booth with uh, said said and uh, said and Patrick uh-huh. commentating, and I was watching because they had like a TV set up for you know uh, people ped- pedestrians just kind of walking by, yeah. and so uh, I was watching because I saw Ron uh, on on the on the TV. And so I stopped to watch, and I saw Ronson had his big card in play. And, it was <laughs> and so he flipped it, and it was it was like a really close game. It 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 came down to you know basically Ronson having his big card, but uh, opponent is empty-handed, goes goes to his uh, Ronson melds the cards. Very impressive, first time like I, first time on camera, uh, having a card melded, you know, in in a standard tournament on camera, pretty impressive. Uh-huh. Uh, get, Bronson has foil Gisellas and Brunos to represent his big card too. They're actually pre-release foils. Oh wow! Yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah, so he gets he gets a little bit of the rubbins too with the foil goodness. Yeah, and so he just he passes the turn and opponent goes rips collected company. Yeah, he like and, stops to read it too, which yeah. is the sickest thing. And my my favorite being <laughs> my favorite, I was by the booth and I just hear Patrick. Just at the top of his lungs, just oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> just so so displeased. <laughs> there is something sort of poetic about just having this cool big creature come out and then just having it against the odds get bounced by a reflector mage. Oh yeah, definitely. Like you have to have you know exactly you can't draw the reflector mage. Like you have to draw exactly collected company into mage. Like uh-huh. and he did, of course, and then. But it, but it was pretty sweet. Like, okay, so he he mages into or he, he companies into mage. Patrick, oh come on! <laughs> Ron casts them both again next turn. <laughs> yeah, and then he and then Ron just like, oh shrug, <laughs> casts Bruna Giselle next turn, and then Ron the big card comes back and does win and, that game. And game, just say it, game. Yeah, say it good. <laughs> say it. So uh, that was that was uh, pretty cool. That was kind of the highlight, I, I think, of this deck. Yeah, absolutely. Getting to be uh, first first meld on camera NA. Yeah, it was it was pretty sweet. I saw uh, Sam Stoddard like just standing next to me. I was birding in like the actual like feature match area, and he's just there with his phone out. And then as soon as the Priscilla comes out, he snaps a picture of it, and then he just walks away. He just wanted the picture. Yeah, how can you not? Yeah, I mean it was pretty sweet. How can you not? Uh, any anything else you wanted to say about the Ronson Big Card? I could devote a whole episode to Ronson Big Card, Chris K, but I'll I'll spare our uh, our viewers and leave a little in the tank. I think everyone appreciates that. <laughs> uh, so then let's talk about the fun police. We'll talk about Devin. Uh, oh God, I'm I'm gonna be real sorry if I pronounce this wrong. Kopik. That was my guess. Kopik. Cop Coep Coepke Coepke. I'll I'll spare myself the embarrassment. Let's just call him Devin. Devin, hey Devin. We're all friends here. We're all friends. Hey Devin, hey friend. Uh, let's talk about your band company list, shall we? Yeah. You know what I like about this band company list, Chris K, that a lot of the band company lists were not doing. Uh, Devin's got ten flyers in his main deck. You think that's why he's in first over the other ones? Um. Yeah, I kind of do actually, because I was watching some of the feature matches and. Or even just, like, games on the table where these band company decks would play each other, and there were so many, this happened quite a bit, mm-hmm. and they would just be stuck in these, like, hellish board stalls. Yeah, I, just, like, oh, God. I, like, I am apprehensive to play standard, honestly, because of that, like, those board stall scenarios. Yeah, it's, it can be hard to deal with. And I overheard Kyle Bogomay say that he, he likes the mirror, he thinks it's very interesting. And, like, I guess if you've played the deck, like, 500 times, maybe I could see that being true. I I guess I don't know if you also like are a masochist or something. Yeah, like yeah. I I if enjoyed also, if you also like waiting in traffic. I, guess. <laughs> I enjoyed playing stasis. I don't think I would enjoy playing this mirror very much. No, no, um, it doesn't like just a bunch of two threes staring at each other, and then yeah. So anyway, if you gave me the option of instead just playing two Avisons, four Spellcallers, and four Selfless Spirits, I would be down for that. Yeah, down. Yeah. Selfless Spirit basically just like the best Welkin turn. Welkin turn is a card I like quite a bit. Um, and then Spellqueller is insane. Um, you can hit it off company. The Spellqueller was probably the card of the weekend. Card's outrageous. Yeah. Um, 
it's like it has flash already it's good in the spirit stack it basically like sort of makes that a deck it's amazing in this deck you can get it off company it makes the t- the timing for company kind of interesting like yeah. do you go for spell queller do you go for reflector mage like that's that tension i think is a very interesting it makes for very interesting gameplay um it add, it certainly adds something that wasn't there in the mirror right there may be something there that wasn't there before. <laughs> I'll, I'll never say that phrase again. Okay, good on ya. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's there's that now. Yep. Uh, so you have to be more careful, I guess, with your companies, though, is, is what I'm trying to get across. Uh, you can't just, you know, launch them off with impunity so much anymore mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Uh, you have to be kind of conscious of that spell queller, and then the the arch the Avison the Archangel Avison I I like that inclusion. Yeah, we saw some of that before the new set came out, but just as like sort of um, another flyer that also has the ability to just also sort of clear the board. You know what I like that I just noticed too is like if you get in a situation where you're in a, a bank company mirror and your Avison flips. You can use your selfless spirit to just maybe win the game. Yeah, to like plague win them. Yeah, because for one thing, it's going to trigger. Does the timing on that right. check out? Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Oh, wait. wait at wait, the wait. beginning of your next no. upkeep. So I don't think it works quite that good. You would need like two, essentially. Oh, yeah. Or if your Avacyn would trigger from something else, you can save all your boys with your selfless spirit. Definitely, but uh, I mean, one other thing that the Selfless Spirit does do, uh, I know it wasn't necessarily a common play out of green-white tokens, but the hanger back for zero trigger your Avacyn, uh, the company decks now have a way to, you know, maybe get themselves out of a tight spot with, you know, if they have an Avacyn play and they top deck a Spirit or something. Um, it just, it opens up another line of play for this deck. Yeah, that's very true. It's no joke. The fact, the ability to flip your Avacyn whenever you want is pretty huge. And, like, the fact that, uh, you can do it at, you can use the ability at least at instant speed, which was something you couldn't do with Hangerback Walker. Hangerback Walker also had, like, the sort of awkward thing where if you ever emblem Gideon, which is something that deck was pretty interested in doing, uh, you could basically never do that again. Uh, this deck, that's not a problem. Um, and you have Dramoka's Command, too, which is, like, definitely a combo, like, Dramoka's Command at their end step, flip my Avacyn on my turn, use my Selfless Spirit, you know, let one of your guys die when you fight, etc. Definitely, I, I like, I like that, and, I mean, what, they were playing, like, Lambhold Pacifist in that spot before, so... Um, that'd be a common one, yeah. So it seems pretty good, and then the last, uh, the last new inclusion here is Thalia. Yeah, I saw most of the company decks play Thalia. Um, even in, like, the humans deck, which I was playing, uh, Thalia's probably not at her best. Like, a 3-2 blocker is certainly no joke. Like, that's really hard for humans to beat. Um, but sometimes when your land comes into play a tap, that sucks. And, like, you can't play the spell you want to play that turn. Um, and sometimes, like, you know, this deck can apply a lot of pressure really fast. And so, like, if they get a fast start... And, like, you're trying to race or something, and then all of a sudden, like, your guys are coming into play taps, so you can't, for an example, like, make an attack and then play some guys to block with. Um, Dahlia can put in a lot of work. And I imagine against, like, the um, Sultai decks of the world, she's, like, even better. Like, where all their lands come into play tapped, and their <laughs> Kalidases come into play tapped, and their Kalidas zombies come into play tapped. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a beating. That is a beating. Uh, so, with that, one of the other cool decks, uh, Thalia is, which Thalia is very good against, as you said, is the Sultai Control by Ali Antrazi. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, it's our look at, it's our look at what Delirium, those green-black-ish Delirium decks that we thought might appear, uh, what they might look like. So that's what we're looking at here. This deck's sweet. Um, it plays like a lot of Delirium enablers. One of the things I think uh, that Ali does that's really cool is he's definitely very mindful. Uh, he play, he pays a lot of respect to Delirium. He's mm-hmm. playing the Hedron Archive as a way to turn on Delirium. He's, oh, yeah. He's playing the full four Evolving Wilds. He's playing, I, I feel like, including Oath, like two Oath of Jace, which is both a discard outlet and the enchantment, as well as Oath of Liliana, is paying respect to Delirium. 
Um, and then like some big payoffs, like scour the laboratory if you have delirium. It's very incredible. Yeah, what a what a what a cool card. Yeah, that is a very cool card. Full instant speed concentrate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even if it's just like a bad tidings, like for six mana, I, I don't think tidings is the instant one. Maybe it was. Um, it's still pretty okay. And like you've got Jace as another discard outlet. You've got Ishkana, which is another big card of this weekend. Uh, and of course, Big Daddy or you know Big Mama Emmercool. Big Mama Emmercool. Right. There she is. There she is. And, like, Emrakul is no joke. Uh, I saw this card played against Ronson Big Card, and it ended Oof. the game both Oof. times where it came down. Because, like, especially against... Oh, what did that... Do you remember what that looked like? I did, I did not see that. Yeah, I very much do. Um, so Ronson would have, like, a Brisella or something in play. Or not a, not a Brisella, a Gisela, for example, the 4-3 in play. And Emrakul would happen, and it would be pretty late in the game, but it would still usually be, like... Okay, um, animate your, uh, animate your, yeah, animate your shambling vents, kill them with, you know, your grasp of darkness, attack something into my Emrakul, kill it, uh, okay, go. And so, like, it usually was, like, killing, like, two or three of your cards, and, like, it's a 13-13 with flying and trample that's super hard to kill. Um, so the card is pretty savage. I feel like in creature-based decks, I don't know how bad it could potentially get. Like, for example, if your opponent is hellbent and you draw a land, like, you get to edict them, at least, if they have a creature. Like, you attack it into the Emrakul, say go. And that's fine. Um, but you still play a 13-13 flying protection from instance creature. And you yeah. them. Um, so I think... Very big. Yeah. I think just because it's it trumps everything in the format. It trumps a Priscilla, for example. Um, wow, yeah, that is true. It trumps Ormondal. Like, it's just the biggest thing. It's true. It, it is very large. Yes. Very large. I like uh, I like that you brought up. I, I didn't I, I didn't notice the Hedron Archives in there at first. I think that's pretty cool. It's uh it's showing that there uh, there is a payoff for Delirium, and it's worth getting there, it seems. Yeah, it really does. And I think Liliana, The Last Hope, is another standout card from this weekend. Both is, like, a really good Delirium enabler, and I think just a really good card. I think people sort of um, underrated Liliana when she was spoiled, um, but this is, like, one of the better iterations we've gotten of Best Girl in recent memory. Like, I mean, we had... Um, Liliana, whatever, Necromancer, which was a good card. Heretical Healer flipped into whatever. Right, right. Um, but I mean, like, the plus one, even as just, like, a Jace ability, Jace Telepath ability, it's pretty good. And then sometimes getting to kill stuff. But the minus two just being, like, a Delirian Enabler with Ray's dead. Like, the creatures in this format are just so good and can do so many things that I think we're going to see a lot of the Liliana at the Pro Tour. Yeah, that I I was I've certainly been impressed seeing her getting played, and yeah, we'll see if um, some of the pro teams can kind of iterate on these delirium strategies and see what we can get out of them. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, so I think that rounds out our top eight. Uh, shout out to uh, everyone else in there. It's mostly band company. Uh, there's a green red dot goggles deck, like I said. Uh, some things from kind of standard past. Uh, shout out to the realist Eric Rill for making uh, to the semifinals with the green white tokens there. Yeah, I don't. I think we should pay just some quick lip service to that. There was not a lot of green white tokens at this event. Some people like were like green white tokens is dead. Um, Eric Rill put up a really strong showing. Uh, he sort he did a few things different. A lot of it. He didn't play many cards from the new set. He played two Ishkana in the main. I think sort of highlighting how good that card is in like a deck that really isn't trying super hard to get Delirium. Still found room for Ishkana just because it is such a powerful threat. And uh, put and put four Evolving Wilds in the mana base for it. He did. And that's like not to even use the ability. That's straight up just to try and get Delirium. Right. And that's like a pretty big sacrifice. But like if you're getting four spiders out of the deal... That's pretty good, and obviously it worked for for the realist. And yeah, shout out to him for uh, putting up good numbers with this deck. I don't know if we'll continue to see this deck, um, but I mean, good on him for making it work for him in week one. Definitely, definitely. So 
that kind of rounds out our top eight. Uh, the other noticeable deck from this weekend was Blue White Spirits. Uh, just kind of touch on that real briefly. Um, uh, touching on Jeff Hoogland's build here, sitting at 13th place. And everyone kind of saw Spell Queller and, uh, you know, the other powerful spirits that are part of Eldritch Moon. And we're excited about this deck. And it looks like this came this came out to be kind of a, a, a build on top here. Um, anything a, anything kind of stand out to you? Yeah, actually, it really does. Like, because Jeff really sort of went a different direction than a lot of the Spirits players. He chose to play for Avicen, which I think is just so good because she does have Flash, which synergizes with a lot of your yes. other cards. Yes. Um. Again, we have the Selfless Spirit Avicen combo. Um, and basically all of his other cards are instants or cards with Flash. He does play two planner outbursts in the main, which I think is pretty sweet, especially with the selfless spirits in the deck. Like, that's gotta be pretty insane when you get to do that. Um, and a lot of, I played against one spirit deck, and if you want to sort of just juxtapose, uh, how much Jeff had to think about when he was coming up with this list, you can build this deck a lot of different ways. Like, if you look at Harrison Fang's list, which he made 25th place with, uh, he went for a much more creature-heavy build with, like, barely any spells um, and chose to include uh, Anathenza, uh, Reflector Mage was a common one. So we see the same sort of core, like this Mausoleum Wanderer, um, Rattle Chains, Spell Queller, Selfless Spirit core. Uh, he has Bygone Bishop in the side as another card that a lot, I think a lot of players were including in the main. So I think there's room to innovate on this deck still, and I don't know that like it's totally settled on what's going to be the best uh but i do think it's cool that we have like such radically different takes on the deck in this top 16 for sure i i agree and it, i'm excited to see where this deck goes this deck appeals to me as a player just uh you know based on decks that i like to play and i really hope there's something here for it yeah if you can fly over company board stalls I'm, i would be pretty pleased to take oh. That's that's all I want to do. I don't want to deal with any of that those that gum up the ground. Get that out of here. So, um, any other thoughts on kind of the top eight or any of the uh, kind of standout decks here? Uh, I think that sort of sums it up. We saw green red goggles and black red seasons pass. Those are sort of niche decks from last season. Um, not really any new cards coming to bear from either of those decks. Uh, one Liliana. Yeah. Um, they're, they're still just kind of there. Yeah, and I think there are decks that we could definitely see more of. It's going to depend on how the format evolves. Black Red Se or Seasons Pass, of course, very grindy, and Green Red, a deck that's really trying to go over the top. I think one thing that's interesting about Green Red is you actually don't go over the top of Sultai Control. Um, like, World Breaker is not going to beat uh, an Emrakul. So I think it'll be interesting to see what sort of becomes of these decks if they take things in a different direction or if the format evolves in a way where these decks actually get to have an advantage because I think these are both very metagame dependent decks. Yeah, for sure. I agree. We, I mean, we saw Seasons Path of the Pro Tour made big waves there. Everyone was super excited. Uh, Green-Black, you know, this Green-Black control deck that people were like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like the green uh, Sphinx's revelation and it turns out it's like, eh, no. <laughs> Not uh, not quite. So uh, we'll see. We'll see kind of where it end, uh, ends up. Baltimore is this weekend, uh, the 30th. So we'll see more standard action there and see where things evolve. And then obviously the Pro Tour. So see where things end up. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was a cool tournament. It was a cool first week, of course. But, uh, you know, as as always with Magic, there's just the next weekend and how where things go from here and how they evolve. So looking forward to that um from here so from that let's kind of segue into our what's the play and our what's the play kind of deals with or what's the play this week uh for those of you kind of who didn't maybe listen last week our what's the play uh is a segment where kyle and i take questions from you the listeners and uh just general questions not like not like play questions or anything like that it's a riff on kind of what's the play in a way but just general questions about magic and and kind of going to tournaments and what to expect and, and things along those lines. So uh, we hope to kind of answer and give some advice since Kyle and I have been going through tournament magic and and that whole ring for 
many years now at this point. We've been through a lot, so maybe we can pass something useful on to, uh, you know, players hoping to dip their toes into that. Uh, like our like our question submitter this week, uh, he asks, "What rule am I most likely to accidentally break going from FNM to PTQ level tournament play? What should I watch out for?" Uh, this is a really good question. I do want to pay lip service to the fact too that you that if you listen to episode two and then jump to right to episode four, we are doing real answers now. Uh, listen to episode three. We tried to do joke, fakey fake answers in episode two. It was a bad yeah. idea. I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Um. So my real answer to this question. So, my, so I, I'm sorry to interrupt. When when do we stop apologizing for episode two? <laughs> I I feel like maybe by episode five or six we can be done. Okay. I feel like we get a they get a three episode buffer of, of apologies. <laughs> That's um, fair. And then we can move on, especially because uh, we have we have double episode midweek madness this week. Yeah, woohoo! Come on down. Um. So I think this is a good question. Um. There are, if you're maybe only an FNM player, you might not know there's a whole separate set of rules that you may have never looked at called like the tournament floor rules, uh, which if you've never looked at those, I would definitely just familiarize yourself um, with like the DCI's floor rules. If you want just like a, a good guideline on like not just what are the rules of magic, but like what are the rules for conducting myself at a tournament, uh, some of which may not be obvious. And like, if you don't know, um it could definitely save you in the long run because it's definitely um easy to get caught in situations that could really get you into trouble if you just like don't know any better um like it's not something that comes up super often but it sucks when it does if like a player just doesn't know what the rules are then they end up doing something like really bad um like i mean a lot of tournament organizers will remind you about the rules for like collusion um you know yeah don't do it. It's bad. You can't offer anything. Or There's not much to remind there. Just don't. Just don't do that. Um, I think as far as actual like gameplay goes, probably triggers are like the biggest thing. Um, so just like familiarizing with yourself with like what the rules are for mistriggers, yeah, I... how triggers work, like I... you and your opponent. Yeah, they're so okay. I I think. One of the things, so yes, triggers absolutely. Like I am, I am 100% on board with triggers. Just one of the best things to get in the habit of doing is just, uh, just every time something happens, just announce it. Just so you, just you skip any kind of confusion. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of what you're looking to do the most. But I think one of the things that a lot of new players kind of shy away from is, or or maybe are apprehensive about doing, is just calling a judge. Yeah, don't be, it's not bad when you call a judge. If you don't know something, just ask a judge. Definitely don't be afraid if there's something you don't know, like, ahead of time, like you have a card in your deck and you're not totally sure how an interaction works, just ask a judge. Just walk up to them and be like, hey, I don't totally understand this. Yeah. Um, You can walk away from the table if you don't, if you have a question about a card in your hand and you don't want to give it away to your opponent what you have. Call a judge and, and ask them. Um, a lot of tournament organizers will remind you of this, but your opponent does not have your best interests at heart. <laughs> that, um, that's always my favorite. That's, <laughs> it's yeah. a line I've heard for 10 years, and it's still my favorite. And it's super true. Like, they, they do not. Do not, yeah. like, if there's something you no, don't I, know, I, ask a judge. Like, and I, I have a story. So I, it, this was back when Extended was a format. It was, uh, I was playing, what was I playing? I was playing Affinity, and my opponent went Blood Moon and told me that my artifact lands weren't artifact lands anymore. They were just mountains. Savage. Uh, yeah, and I and I just believed him because he whatever, like they're okay, sure. Like it says they're mountains, so yes. It, instead I should have just called a judge. And then like that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah. The judges are there to help you. That's that's the whole point. Yeah, I think I so I think, you know, we can we can look for uh, specific answers to give you, but I, I think uh, I think a good rule, like a, a good just overall for this, honestly, is just don't be afraid to call a judge. Uh, strike up a conversation with them. Um, maybe know, uh, uh, you know, you can like like Kyle said, you can ask questions away from the table if like you don't want to give away information. That's totally fine. Um, and so just get comfortable calling judges. They're there to help. Yeah. Definitely also be clear in communicating with your opponent. Um, 
that can usually avoid a lot of issues. Um, like just announcing, don't don't assume that your opponent knows what you're trying to do. Like I I make a habit of just saying like trigger every time like one of my abilities triggers. So like if I'm playing humans, for example, and I have like Thalia's lieutenant on the table, I I just say trigger every time I play another human because. You know, if you don't say it and then you just move on to something else, um, then your opponent is going to assume you skipped it. And then, like a competitive REL, they can call you on it, and they're probably going to just be right because yeah. you have to you have to just really be uh, super tight. And I think this is one of the situations where Moto is actually really helpful because um, Moto is really good for learning like the hardcore mechanics of the game, like how does it work when spells go on the stack? How does it work when Stuff happens at the same time during my upkeep. Sure. Now, now, can I can I just say uh, the the extremes of that are, are a pet peeve of mine. The when you go untap upkeep draw, that uh, just like that's not necessary. <laughs> yeah, don't don't let's not let's not misconstrue this. That's that's not necessary. <laughs> right. Um. That's something's something's like yeah, like a thing like that. It has <laughs> to happen that yeah. way. If you're untapping your permanence and then doing a thing and then drawing a card. That is all uh, as it must be. Yeah, let's just say let's just say Chris is real triggered. When, yeah, <laughs> I I'm that I'm triggered. Right, <laughs> that's, that's my trigger. Trigger, trigger, trigger. trigger. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, uh, I I would say ask ask a judge, man, bro, yeah. lady, and definitely uh, look at the floor rules. I would I would advise anybody going to their first big tournament at least like scan. Can you just Google? Do you Google floor rules? Tournament floor rules? I think if you Google DCI floor rules... We're just doing this live? Yeah, this <laughs> is a podcast. We have Google is an intricate part of podcasts. Um, yeah, if you Google that, the first result will take you to a page that says Magic the Gathering Tournament Rules. That's the first PDF on the page. Uh, it's about 50 pages. You obviously don't have to read the whole thing. A lot of it it's like, oh, if you've ever looked at the Magic Comprehensive Rules, it pretty much looks like a logic puzzle. Um, this stuff all does have to be spelled out. That's part of how the game works. If you are, are super into logic, it's actually kind of kind of super cool. Um, if you're not, you might just be super bored. Um, but there's a lot of good information about here. Like, I'm just scanning it and, like, you know, how does, you know, what are the rules about shuffling? What are the rules about sleeves? Um etc. Here's a section on communication. That's super yeah. good. So yeah, if you if you feel like you need a little bit more, there that is there for you. I'm I'm looking at it right now, and yeah, that's that's quite a bit. It's quite yeah. a bit. Uh, it, you know, experiences is sometimes the best teacher. So um, can I get on I my hope... soapbox real quick about one thing? Yes. I would I would use plain black sleeves every time I see somebody like sitting there with their yellow or like green sleeves. And they have double face cards in their deck, and they have to oh, sit yeah. there for like fifteen minutes on sleeving your deck. Like, what? You could just use plain black sleeves. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, don't worry about like expressing yourself or your personality like on your sleeves. Just like don't get a game loss. Yeah, that's what your anime is <laughs> for. Like plain black sleeves. <laughs> yeah, Steve Jobs. Think different. It's the same. I learned. I learned about the plain black sleeves not necessarily the hard way, but a really annoying way. I had to, I spent I spent a good half hour scouring a, a tournament site for flip cards because I had yellow sleeves because I wanted to be a special little daffodil <laughs> and you know express myself with yellow sleeves uh, when I could have just had when I could have just spent like the eight dollars and two seconds to buy plain black sleeves. Yep. So uh, yeah, just just do that. Just plain black sleeves. That's it. Audrey Hepburn on those cards. Uh, also, we're looking to sell out, so Dragon Shield, Black Mat are my, my favorite. I like uh, I like KMC's Ultra Blacks. Whatever, we'll take either. <laughs> we'll take either endorsement. Yeah, it, we would take. I made these in my mom's basement sleeves. If you got yep. that, if you got that do re me, <laughs> just pass it our way. Yep, that's all we ask. We don't. Have, we're not. Uh, no integrity here. Yep. Let's just state that again. So, uh, that's our What's a Play. I hope that helps out uh, you, listener, as well as anyone else who I'm sure has, you know, the same question. Um, so, with that, uh, we have, as always, our story time of the week. Uh, this is kind of where we get to tell 
uh, the stories that we have uh, just come across in our time playing Magic and our eclectic group of friends and characters that come in and out of our lives because of this game, and we think it a shame that their stories go untold until now. Until now. Until now. And it's it's quite unfortunate that we get to be the ones to tell their tale. Like, I feel bad for them. I'm, we're sorry. We're sorry <laughs> that it has to be us to tell your story, but no one else is going to, so... That's true. Take what you can get, I guess. You have no... This is exactly what Hamilton is about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's going to tell your story? You just don't know, man. No, that's it. So, uh, this week for story time... <laughs> what do you have for us? Yeah, so here's what happened this weekend, guys. Uh, you've done a great job of trying to keep us on time this uh, episode, Chris K. So I'm going to try and keep this brief. Um, so when I play Magic, I, I like to, and even not, I like to wear, like, basketball shorts. Like, if I could wear basketball shorts and, like, a hoodie, like, all the time, I totally would. It was way too hot for hoodies this weekend, so... Um, at the SCG, I wore basketball shorts and a t-shirt. And uh, because it's important to this story, it was a t-shirt I got from a family friend from a luau. It had Hawaiian writing on it, and it was green. It was a pretty nice t-shirt. It wasn't, like, super worn out. My basketball shorts were also, like, pretty nice uh, as far as basketball shorts go. I was there. Can confirm. Yeah. Um, so we go out. Uh, first of all, we're at Char Bar, and we're getting a couple drinks. And then we learn uh, that it's our, our friend's birthday, Dan Musser's birthday. Uh, great uh, Pikachu trainer, a uh, great magic player. And we're going to go hang out with him for his birthday. So we meet them over at Barley. And it's, you know, him, Crane Nick, uh, the realist. Um, and Benson. Be- Benson, legacy specialist. Yes. Yeah. Or Mark's son, legacy specialist. Or Mark's son, legacy specialist, and Benson. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So we are there for a little while, and then we start walking around Columbus, and then we get to sort of like where the more clubby areas are, um, and we get to one particular club, and there is a rope, and there are bouncers who I assume are just there to check our IDs. Um, I have my ID at the ready. Um, everybody is in front of me in this like sort of improv line, and they all just kind of go inside, and the guy's like, I can't let you in with the basketball shorts. And I'm like, for real? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, dude, like, what am I going to do? Like, my, you just saw all my friends, like, went in there. Like, I'm, it's like, I, I, I can't do it. I'm like, well, look, I got, like, mad game. Just because I'm wearing basketball shorts doesn't mean that I can't, like, participate in, like, club activities. Like, you know, I still got it. And then, like, his bouncer friend is with him. And he's like, dude, what are you going to do? Like, crossover dribble on somebody? Oh, no. And I'm like, I'll go up and crossover dribble on like you can see the bar from where we are i'm like i will go up to the first girl i see at the bar and do a crossover dribble if it means that i can get into this club and they like sort of look at each other and the one guy really wants to do it and the other guy really (laughs) doesn't because he really doesn't want to get in trouble and they're just like all right whatever i'm not taking the heat if the manager finds out or whatever so i walk up there and this girl is now talking to this guy who is a lot stronger than I am by all appearances. Um, and I, they're talking and I wait for a pause in their conversation because the, the bouncers are looking like right at me. And so I don't want to just like, you know, bolt or like, where am I going to go? You know? <laughs> so I'm like, excuse me. I promise I'm not hitting on you. I made a bet with the bouncers that if I did a crossover dribble, which I pantomime, uh-huh. um, they would, permit me to stay in this club because I'm wearing basketball shorts. Uh-huh. The guy looks at me, he's like, you need to walk that way. And I oblige. And I try to explain, like, hey, I know this sounds absurd, but this is, like, really what happened. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> so I'm waiting outside, and I'm like, I, I, I say to the bouncer, like, I'm between a rock and a hard place, I guess. I think this guy's gonna kick my ass. Like, I think he's yeah. with this girl or whatever and thinks I'm trying to fly, like, some whack-ass steph curry game with this girl um and obviously that doesn't even make any sense like that wouldn't be a good pickup line um but then i'm standing outside just waiting for a while i text you guys and say like i I seriously can't get into this club i i've exhausted my only option for admittance Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i 
I pass I pass that one around. <laughs> yeah. Somebody else comes up to me and he's like, the fuck does your shirt say? And I'm like, I honestly just, don't. Just, on the, just while you're on the street? Yeah, that was the first words out of his mouth. He was in the club. He was on the other side of the velvet rope. I'm like, to be honest, I don't know. I filmed the luau for a friend. I got this shirt. Oh, um, you have to give the long story. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, all right, but you're American, right? Which is silly on multiple levels. Um, but I say yes. And he's like, good. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he's like, America's the greatest country in the world. I'm like, right on, man. And he's like, Trump 2016. I'm like, I don't know if I would go that far. And then he sort of gives me like, uh, like a head tilt look. Oh boy. And um, he's like, well, what else? What else are you gonna do? You gonna you gonna vote for uh, Hillary? You gonna vote for Bernie? I'm like, well, I did vote for Bernie in the primaries, and I think he just gave up on me at that point because he literally just walked totally out of sight. Um, and then eventually I feel bad because I keep forgetting his name, but legacy specialist, uh, dip, no, dip, legacy, legacy specialist and diplomat, Mark son, Mark son, a, a diplomat. Indeed. Talk to the manager, convinces, diplomat. Him, convinces him to let me inside. And so I, I feel obliged to buy a drink in there at this point, since he's graciously, uh, permitted me to enter his club wearing basketball shorts. Uh, we quickly oh, nice. move on to another bar, uh, where, where Mark tries to talk the manager into letting me in. And then he says, like, right in front of the manager, he's like, okay, this guy's being a way bigger hard-ass than I thought. I guess we have to go. <laughs> I told Carl this story the next day, and, and he's yeah. like, I, I wouldn't even go to any of these places. Like, if they don't want to take my hard-earned money, and, like, forget them. And I, I, I really couldn't agree more with that sentiment. Any bar in Macedonia or Streetsboro, would have been more than happy to take my money. Absolutely. It's these preppy bars, man. I'm, I'm done with it. No, I, I'm with you there, and I think our listeners can uh, they can appreciate as they, they can identify as well. Uh, but it's man, that was that was something else. That was, was really <laughs> that was really something else. Yeah, diplomat Mark Sun gets you in, and then we leave like maybe 15 minutes later. Yeah, at, at most 15 minutes. It was pretty unreal. It, it was it was a bar hop night, and your pants just weren't hopping. No, Dan, I, I sort of apologized to Dan. Like, I really didn't see this being as much of a problem as it was. He's like, no, it's a fun game. See where we can get you in. <laughs> Gamer's gonna game, man. Gamer's gonna game. Shout out, to, shout out to Mark, Master Diplomat. Yeah, absolutely. That was good. So, uh, <laughs> great story. Great weekend. Um, so, with that, uh, I think that's going to be another episode of Midwest Magic. Um, so I want to go ahead and just throw out the like, subscribe, and follow us. Uh, we are on iTunes now. Please give us a subscribe on there. And sick. more, and and most importantly, uh, please give us a review. Uh, yes. That that would be really tight if we could get a review from our listeners out there. That's seriously like I know a lot of podcasts ask you to review, but that's like the biggest thing you can do to like for their like position on the iTunes charts. Like reviews are like the rare candy. Like it's the best item by far. And and we're 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 begging. So oh, you know, no no shame. Like we said, no integrity, no shame. If you uh, want to write to us, you can write to us at midwestmagicpodcast at gmail dot com. You can put anything in there. If you have a question, we'll answer it. Um, if you just want to say hi. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, straight up, if we got like a million emails, then it would, we don't, we have zero emails right now. If you write us, it will appear on the show full stop. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. Uh, if you give us a shout out on the email. Uh, also, um, be sure to send your questions for what's the play in there. Um, also, Kyle, where can they find you on social media to shout things at you? Uh, you can yell at me on, at Twitter, at, at Supfaust. Um, you can find our blog at midwestmagic.com, which pretty much has download links to all the shows. Uh, we're on Stitcher now, um, so that's a thing. Cool. Um, sometimes I'm on Twitch at Supfaust. That's like S-U-P-F-A-U-S-T. Uh, Tight. And you can also find me over on Twitter at Tilted Musings, and you can also find me on Twitch, maybe, uh, <laughs> at Tilted underscore musings and you can yell at me in all uh in all forms there uh 
We also want to thank our friend's band, Marco, or our friend Marco's band, I should say, uh, Green Jeans, for letting us use their song in our intro and uh, outro. And so, uh, yeah, go ahead and give them a listen. They're over on uh, Bandcamp, right? Their whole album is up on Bandcamp, greenjeans.bandcamp.com. The album is called Cave Demos. The song is called Weirdos, Dumb and In Love. Uh, they're playing shows throughout Columbus, Ohio. If you're in the area, holla at them, listen to their songs. They're real tight. Tell Marco uh, we sent you, Chris and Kyle sent you. Yep. Uh, give him a big old smooch. Yep, do that. Maybe a little maybe a little butt squeeze. He'd like it. He, yeah, yeah, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with that, we would like to thank you all for listening. And uh, for Kyle Lewis, I am Chris Kulo. And this has been Midwest Magic. Take it easy, guys and gals. Smooches internet. Science librarian. Hero girl from the moon. That's my fucking jam.